All right, everybody, welcome back for another episode of Tiger Zone, the class of 2010 for Princeton podcast. That was a horrible introduction, but that's that's what you're getting. So today I'm joined by our class day speaker, uh, who I personally find to be very entertaining and hilarious. Uh, clearly, the, the class day speech was only the, uh, the beginning of his career in comedy. Um, he is a comedian and a writer. He's living in New York City, and he is Zach Zimmerman. Zach, how are you doing today? Hey, Jeff. I'm good. Glad to be in the Tiger Zone. Yeah, it's good to have you. I was really looking forward to this one. I, I feel like we're going to have a very lively conversation today. Oh, you're just trying to trick people to stay listening, which I appreciate <laughs> as a host. We got to keep them entertained. Don't yeah. Change the channel. A lot yeah. of content out there. There's going to be some good shit, I think. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to diving in. So um, may I roast your title for one moment? Sorry, go ahead. Say that again. Well, I just want to roast, not roast Tiger Zone, but tell oh, you sure. what it made me think of. Did yeah, you let's, have, let's do it. Did you have Discovery Zone in your childhood? Were I, you? I did. I did, yes. Wasn't it that, I mean, it's gone now, that type of, maybe those types of places exist, but I don't know if it was national. It was this like fun land for children and ball pit, <laughs> like Chuck E. Cheese ball pits and, um, like tubes and you could jump around and get like colds and infections from other children from like unwashed slides and things. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah. All sorts of, all sorts of uh, COVID and all sorts of, you know, sneezy kids running around and things like that. So I'm, I'm hoping the tiger zone is not like the discovery zone. Though I hope we do discover some things about each other today. It, it's, it's like an adult version of the discovery zone. It's, it's a better, it's a better version. Um, so yeah, so Zach, let, let's get into like, you know, just your your background. I think most people who are listening, uh, if they're in our class, they'll know you. Um, if they're not in our class and they're just other curious folks, they would probably want to know, you know, who, who is Zach Zimmerman. Um, so let's just like talk about what you're doing these days uh, in your career. So you are a comedian and a writer. Um, talk us through like, what what is it that, you know, what, what is it that sparked all of this, right? Like growing up, what was, you know, like, I think you were in, um, didn't you do uh, improv comedy in college and things like that? So like, what sparked this? What gave you this type of personality that seeks out, you know, you're like a glutton for pain. So, so what, 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 what caused that? Oh, you know, just the, the trauma of evangelical parents and a, a father who didn't let me talk. Um, so <laughs> Now I just yell at others. <laughs> yeah, I was in college. I mean, Princeton was pretty formative in the delusion that one can have a comedy career. Because uh, I, I definitely was drawn to theater and things in uh, middle school and high school and did plays and was Don Quixote, the man of La Mancha and uh, Footloose and did musicals and things. But it wasn't until Princeton that I got involved in Quibfire and the Triangle Club and got into like all writing material, writing my own. Um, and I just looked up to some seniors who were doing amazing things, writing amazing scripts, making me laugh. And so after college, I, I moved to Chicago because it was cheaper than New York and got involved with the Improv Olympic, which no longer exists, and the Second City, which just got bought by a private equity firm. Not a great year for improv theaters, uh, sort of across the board. Yeah. Um, and then Second City, in, though, that's a big that's a bit for people who don't know. Second City is like the foremost improv comedy in Chicago and, and, and potentially nationally as well. 
correct? Yeah, they at least in, for totally in Chicago, and they're like a feeder for a lot of the early SNL talent was coming from there, and that's what put kind of Second City on the radar. Um, they they sent me out on I did two cruise ships with them. Uh, oh wow! For kind of I don't know if anyone people listening have been on cruises, whether for like a week or ten days, but these were sort of four months at sea, uh, which leads to a sort of fugue state not unlike the pandemic kind of being trapped in this unknown length of time uh in various ways um i have to ask i would imagine that the the gay humor doesn't play as well on the cruise ship as it does in new york city interesting they the these the ships definitely skewed straight they do have like gay specific cruises which i've okay. never which are a lot of fun from what I've heard. But yeah, these were uh, a joke. It's newlyweds and nearly deads go on cruise ships. So it's sort Got of it. much older, established, hetero. Um, and we were just sticking to Second City scripts. So the way they sure. work is like they have 12 jobs and then those people write things that get put up on the stage in Chicago. And then everyone else, the touring companies, just do those sketches, their own version at sea or in hundred seat theaters in Omaha, Nebraska or something. Got it. All right, cool. Well, so you did the cruise ships, you did the second city, and then you made your way to New York, correct? And so, and then you had, and you also had a full-time job, right? Uh, you were, what were you doing on top of all the, the comedy and the writing stuff? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, to be totally candid, I'm from working class family. Mom's a server, dad, uh, in addition to being a pastor and um, a bus driver and working on cars throughout his life, um, helped or uh, that that background feels important with what people do post college creatively, because you do need kind of two years to fail. You do need the financial support and setup so that you can grow as an artist creatively. And I, uh, I did not have that from mommy and daddy. So I got a gig at a nonprofit company and then wound up in advertising and sort of climbed the ladder as far as I could, maybe to my detriment. Um, mm -hmm. But I was burning the candle at both ends, sort of waking up 7am getting to my, my advertising job, uh, spreadsheets and uh, data crunching, and then going to my improv classes and doing my improv show and getting drunk till midnight and then doing it all over again the next day. So definitely a young person's game in that regard. And then it wasn't until moving to New York four years ago um, when I, there was just a, a breaking point where it was like, oh, what am I doing? I, I'm... I'm actually just building up too big of a safety net. Will I ever go full-time um, creative? And the universe was sending like enough signals that I was like, oh yeah, I could do this. Like I was getting a couple pieces in the New Yorker. I was doing some good stand-up shows. I was taking like some meetings. It seemed like, cause the hard thing with the creative uh, path is you, yeah, you need delusion in order to first go after it and then you need discipline to actually like grow and mature it into become into becoming a professional and not just an amateur who can have some great shows or have one hit project 
uh, but to be a pro that's gonna do this for the rest of their life in some capacity um, requires a different mentality. So it was, unfortunately, I feel like the big decisions in my life always come from like terrible things happening. I, my move to New York was after I got like dumped on a plane. Right. And then my decision to leave advertising was in addition to frustrations, just like having a really bad boss who right. was patronizing and had a had a had it had an axe to grind against me i think because i wasn't like tolerating the bullshit right. <laughs> like yeah. i it wasn't my bosses don't like that bosses don't like that when they're yeah. like oh this person uh, is not giving me complete and total exploitative power over them because yeah. they have some other interests that they want to pursue and they so... prefer to feed you bullshit that's what they like <laughs> yes. um <laughs> So sorry. That's the universal. No, no, that's like what's universal about it is just how um, how shitty bosses can be. But in hindsight, like what a gift my ex gave me in liberating me from that relationship so I could move to New York. What a gift the bad boss gave me to nudge me towards um, actually going after what I want and having saved from advertising to be able to do it. Because if I were 22 and had thousands of dollars from family money to like be create full-time creative that would have I feel like I'm doing now at 29 what I might have done at 22 um 29 being what I was uh three years ago um right I was gonna say did, I was gonna say did you were you like in the advanced like <laughs> were, you, were you just like younger than all of us and super smart I'm so young I'm so young no <laughs> I feel like everyone is if you're on perfect track, you should be either 33 now or turning 33 this year. Um, yes. Which is our, our Jesus year. That's when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. So oh gosh, if we're not. <laughs> so watch out. High bar. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but I don't yeah. mean to roast people with, from money or with money. Also, I'm very grateful that I did not have a platform at 22. I feel like I've done just since I'm different now than I was when I was growing up, I needed that time to like percolate and mature and, and figure out who I am. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, something you said resonated with me because um, I've, I've always been interested in doing screenwriting. That's really what I want to do, but I'm, you know, I'm, I've been working in sales because I want to make that safety net. At some point I need to grow, you know, the, the confidence to, to make that jump. But, you know, when you, when you decided to go full time, Obviously, that was a huge risk. You said the universe was sending you some signals. How scared were you on a scale of one to 10 when you made that choice? And like, how, you know, what level of conviction did you have? Oh, great question. The, the phrase that was in my head was this idea that I wasn't building a safety net. I was building a bed that mm -hmm. was like so comfortable that I would never leave it. <laughs> Kind right of golden handcuffs <laughs> metaphor sure i think i mean I, I i wish i was scareder but it felt like i kind of waited too long that i was mm. it, it, i i it would have been scarier if i did it a year sooner mm. um and probably braver not that it's a brave thing but maybe it's a brave thing um mm -hmm. to align your life with your passions and interests um, but probably since I waited so long and used this job to like help me move to New York, it sort of 
I got so frustrated. What, what's that quote? There's something like change is what happens. And I can't believe I'm being this cheesy and earnest with you, Jeff, but <laughs> change is what happens when the pain of holding on becomes greater than the fear of letting go. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, this is not it, Zach. You're, it was actually a Princeton reunions weekend when it happened. I had just finished a work project and I was going back to reunions. And I remember being with my friends, people I didn't see that often, and being glued to my phone, looking at emails from a boss saying, this is so unprofessional. We have to talk on Monday. Because she was the person who kind of like talked out of both sides of her mouth, sent you in 500 different circles. You never actually know what you're supposed to do or what you're allowed to do. And so when you do a thing, you're you're, you're cursed if you do, cursed if you don't situation. I'm sure you've I, had a boss. I hope the story ends with you drunkenly emailing <laughs> your boss back with GFY or something like that. Is that how the story ends? Or did you actually go in and like person and do it like the, the, the professional way? I wish I didn't have that much courage. I did it the professional way. She had set up a meeting for the Monday after reunions. Oh, good. I decided for myself I was going to quit. And then we ended up, it was supposed to last like half an hour, but we had like a two hour come to Jesus talk where we like aired our grievances with one another, bonded kind of. I started to humanize her and understand, <laughs> oh, she's new in this job. She was looking to make, uh, make her claim. Uh, and then not, after the two hours, I was like, well, um, so I'm, 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 I'd like, I'm thinking of leaving. <laughs> it, it was kind of <laughs> robbed me of my big, like grand exit, but yeah. uh, that's how it happens. And then that's... I, then I left two weeks later, three years ago. There you go. All right. Well, let's get into like what you're doing day to day. I mean, I've seen your comedy. I follow you on Twitter on every social platform. Your, you know, your standup is great. Uh, I actually, you know, a lot of your um, situational humor and the stuff you just come up with on the fly on the day to day, I think is, uh, is, is, is almost even funnier. Uh, and I personally enjoy it quite a bit. How do you come up with this material? Is it just constantly flying in your head? Like, this is a funny thing and you just jot it down or like, do you, do you go into like a cave and you just like think, you know, what is the, what's the process? Are you just funny? Like, is it, you just don't even have to try and you just come up with funny shit all the time or like, how does this work? I think it's, I think there's, there's some core thing that happens and then it, there are muscles that you get worked out. There's kind of just like people who see the world a little differently or make connections in a surprising way. I think everyone has the potential to be funny. Mm -hmm. uh, now I sound like I'm selling funny <laughs> our classes um but 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 it is a muscle it is work it is work like they're like yesterday um depending on when this comes out like bill and melinda gates announced their divorce and so i know hey this is a big news event this is a potentially rich subject matter you've got a billionaire with lots of credits uh microsoft lots of specifics there could be funny and so i did put my attention to, okay, I'm going to try to write a joke about this for the internet. Like mm -hmm. sometimes it's pure inspiration and it's immediate. And then sometimes it's like a muscle and a process. The trick is Jeff, something that I did not learn until kind of two years ago is this idea of write a better joke. Okay. What's this? I worked with a director when I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I had written all these jokes and had a show and was putting out an album 
and he would just be like, write a better joke. And I'm like, well, this gets a laugh. What do you mean write a bit? He's like, write a joke only you can write. And I was like, oh, that's a different level of this game. It's not mm -hmm. just make the audience laugh. It's push the art form forward or push yourself to write something that only you from your unique you set of experiences can talk about mm -hmm. or only you because of the way your brain works and the connections that you make could come up with a particular joke. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably the shift from like just comedy as inspiration to comedy as like work and editing and writing and and of course to the audience at least with stand-up it looks effortless the 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 greats of which i do not count myself as one make it seem like it's on the fly make it you the technique my friend uh uh, was mentioning to me, yeah, that you the technique is so strong that it looks effortless. You're in that flow state when it's a it's a duck, I guess, who's Obama used that where like it's quiet above the water and the legs are like scurrying around. Um, yeah, I think I think I think I got it. Yeah, I mean, I it, there's you know, I it sounds like it's a little bit of everything. You have some, I mean, you have a foundational skill. I mean, people who know you and interact with you more regularly know that, you know, you're probably, you know, you're obviously working. I mean, this is work. It's not, doesn't just come naturally, but you have a certain persona about you naturally that kind of fits your humor. You're, you, you, in other words, I don't think you're extending yourself too much, um, which, which, which makes it more authentic, I think, to people who, who start to understand your brand, um, which not by the way, sustainable otherwise, if you, if you're playing a version of you that's not, or th this is where we get kind of cheesy when I think about comedy and stand up, like it has to, ideally, it's the most authentic core part of yourself that is kind of funny or interesting, um, sometimes inarticulatable. But if you're trying, if I came out and was trying to, yo, what's up, everybody? Like, I might <laughs> gain some traction with him for a while. But like, over time, you're going to be so there's going to be a, a, a disconnect between what you're putting out and who you are. Yeah. People want to see a person existing in in space and a point of view that like feels true and real. Like, oh, yeah, I, I get what this person's about. The best stand ups have like a fully fledged persona, which I'm I like overthink all the time. Like, is this? Mm is a persona what am i am i am i depressed am i I'm, okay i'm southern yeah like oh and i'm and queer yeah that's definitely part of it but like what is this persona i don't know i and then i end up being like that's a waste of time let me just write what i think is funny and someone else can name uh the, the umbrella term that like creates this persona yeah this eventually became boring to even me so i can only imagine <laughs> if that rambling was boring to the audience well, no, I, I, it's actually a great segue because it's something that I, I, I highly value authenticity personally. And it's something that I've always found endearing about your humor, which is that it is, it's so obviously authentic because the material is drawing upon your life. Um, you talk a lot about, uh, you know, what it was like growing up in an evangelical household, being gay, um, being at odds with, you know, your family who uh, certain members of your family didn't agree with, you know, with, didn't agree with that. And 
Um, obviously I know that that dynamic has changed over time. You were very personal. I know you had a friend who unfortunately passed away in a shooting at Virginia tech. And I remember that was a very touching moment. One of the shows I saw you, you being open about that. It wasn't, wasn't comedy in that. That was more of a serious moment. Um, and, uh, and then a lot of your humor too, uh, you know, as a gay man, you, you've had a lot of, uh, gay humor and things like that, which I know you often open up with as a way to, uh, kind of loosen up the crowd too. Um, so you're, you're like unabashedly yourself, I think, in a lot of the, in, in your material, but I guess, you know, I, I, I guess just to quote, like, you've even had your mom in, in your shows with you and made light of, um, you know, kind of your differences. And, um, I, I'm curious, like, if you could touch on that a little bit, you know, has, has comedy helped bridge the gap, you know, in, in those ways with, with, you know, with the people that you, you know, that you're closest with, or is it has it made it harder because you know they don't like that you're making light of you know the, the that situation like how is that what is the role that that's played in in that uh situation for you i guess that's a great question i think um well part, certain members of my family don't engage with my art in any way um, <laughs> yeah but i have heard that my mom is sort of checking out and paying attention to things uh, I think I'm very much her child because she is a ham. She is drawn to the spotlight. When I had her, when I released my album and brought her to Brooklyn and got her on stage with me and we did a show together, like I think her craving of the spotlight was like mm -hmm. a way to overcome like a bit of the barrier between us. Like mm -hmm. she is like, oh, if I behave myself a little bit i get to come to new york and like see all these cool things and so mm -hmm. it's kind of it was cool to me and very stressful to have her here but to have like my mom on stage with me and uh, like accidentally a nearly all queer comedy lineup that mm -hmm. she's on stage with me for just to like show her there is a community behind me and in my corner and like another way of living because so much of what's hard about those first 18 years of life minus the two that nobody remembers zero right zero, um yeah. <laughs> it's kind of not knowing there was another option like oh this is how this is your life this is what it looks like this is the way the world exists and then getting out of that coming to princeton encountering non-evangelicals for the right. first time like seeing <laughs> oh there's other ways to live and then coming to new york and being like oh you can be an anti-capitalist too there's not just mm. it's not just uh conservative versus liberal oh there's progressive uh people and factions mm -hmm. uh, and so i think i i will hope that it has strengthened our relationship and if it's caused harm to ours, then hopefully it's helping someone else. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely have have learned to be strategic and I'm working on like uh, a written project and I'm torn on how to involve her. Luckily, my mom is very like, put it in there. Like, let me speak my truth when I wrote a piece about her as a waitress for the New Yorker. I like interviewed her. I read back, I shared a draft of it just to see what she say. And she rarely 
objects to anything because I'm presenting what she believes and she's not ashamed of that and she knows that I believe different things. And so if I'm writing it, you're going to read what I have to say too. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I'm potentially more empathetic than sort of an investigative journalist who might like take her down. Sure. Uh, and people can hear the love behind it. And love doesn't mean you agree with everything someone does. My favorite right. definition of it I read all about love by Bell Hooks, um, and Bell uses uh, the idea that love is commitment to one's own or another's spiritual growth. So love doesn't mean you're perfect. Love means I am committed to you getting better. Right. It's kind of cool to me. So when you love your parents, it's because you want them to be better versions of themselves. When you love yourself, it's because you're in it for the long haul, you're going to grow as a human, a creator, uh, uh, yeah, a breathing sentient being or whatever. Yeah. You should be a motivational speaker. I'm all like fired up now. Um, uh, I, I guess like, you know, careful. <laughs> no, this, you're spitting some good knowledge right now. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, is it cathartic for you? Like, so when you're getting up on stage and you, you share these personal moments, you know, stuff about your family, stuff about your childhood, stuff about, you know, being gay, things about your friend, um, things that are, you know, for a lot of people are like sensitive topics that they, people not, might not want to be open about, like, you know, maybe when you were growing up, you know, uh, you had to repress, you know, being gay. And, and, and is, it, is it like, you know, is it cathartic for you that you can actually get on a stage and like say all these things and have people like enjoy it and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're embracing you? Like, do you think that that is like a part of, you know, why you like to focus on this or is it, is it because it's just like the material is, it comes naturally to you. Maybe it's all of the above, but um, how does it make you feel, I guess, to be able to go up on stage and like talk about these things? I think it came naturally at first because I just tended to be an oversharer or sort of nothing was off limits. And then it started to, only in hindsight, can I see this? I was kind of using the audience as a focus group of like, what was and wasn't okay that was happening to me in my life. Like mm. I'll just share, my mom did this thing. Mm. Uh, like um, uh, I let her know I was having trouble dating and she's like, oh, you should try a different department. Yeah, like, I remember that. So it's like, oh, that was bad, but it was also a clever joke, mom. Let me write another joke about, it. let me just say that to an audience to just feel their empathy very briefly. And then I'll also have a joke to, to like elevate it. Cause I don't think a lot of people's moms are saying that, but maybe they are. Um, and I think, so I think for a minute there, it was a version of a type of therapy, even though I was also in therapy and people should not use stand up as therapy, but there was something cathartic to use your word about kind of telling my story and having it resonate with people because everyone has complicated relationships with their parents. They're the weirdest relationships that we have. They literally changed our diapers and, um, and now we're old. And so it's like, <laughs> uh, there's something universal about the specificity, but I think I'm maturer now in how I do it. Like I'm, I don't need you to validate my story. I know, the jokes are fun. And so I go on stage to make you laugh rather than take something from you. 
and it might look the it might look the exact same to the audience and this also might be me like preaching but i have had a shift where it's like i'm no i'm not taking from you crowd i'm here to give you a fun experience i require nothing of you because i feel a little more fully baked as a person self-love mm. all that good stuff um but again it might look the it looks the exact same you're like zach you're just telling uh poop jokes on stage what are you talking about <laughs> no there's deep philosophy behind <laughs> The, the subtle, uh, inconceivable, unseen uh, what's happening behind those poop jokes. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I think I think that's um, I, I, I think that's really awesome that that's how you feel. And I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I, I feel like you answered my next question indirectly. I was going to ask, like, do you get nervous? I mean, I feel like you probably well, you're saying, yeah, I mean, I feel like you don't because, you know, you just go up and you just you're just sharing. But do, do you get nervous? Like, what if nobody's oh, going to laugh yeah. at this? Yeah. Well, it's um, nervous and excited are kind of the same heightened arousal states. It's just a judgment your brain makes of, oh, whether this is a bad thing. Like, oh, my heart's racing and I'm breathing more shallow. Is that bad? Am I in danger because a bear is about to attack me and I need to run? Or no, am I excited to go in front of people and make them laugh and receive their energy? Um, so yeah, I, I get eager before the show. And as of a month ago, I'm on some anti-anxiety medication, which makes performing a lot more fun. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine. You you just, it's, I'm like kicking myself for not being on it sooner, but it's just like, it's, it's, I'm sure everyone's on their own journey. Uh, yeah. With we therapy and, and mental health. Um, but it's been delightful the when things bomb it just i don't perceive silence as negatively as i once did on them yeah i'm gonna be like oh that joke didn't it's also an ego thing once you separate your ego from your material which this would apply to any artists or even anyone in any job you are yeah. more than the job you are more than the joke and so if the joke doesn't work it's not because you're broken or if a project at work fails, now I do sound like a motivational speaker. Well, that yeah, is, you are more that you're so much more than a job. You're a you're a fucking yeah. Meet. I don't. Sack. I don't think motivational speakers, you know, use the f bomb. But <laughs> I, I like where you're going. I like where you're going with that. Oh, should I not curse? I'm sorry. No, you can curse. We we've been cursing. It's it's cool. You're okay. good. Um, we've been talking about poop jokes and stuff, so I mean, I, we can't oh, no, sink much further. I have a poop joke now that I was, I'd have eating ass jokes, but I don't have a poop joke. Yeah, uh, well, we might, we might save those for the, 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 the sequel episode. Um, but no, that's cool. And I guess, um, after dark, yeah, yeah, that's actually not a bad spinoff. That would be kind of cool. I don't really know what the brand is of this podcast yet. There's a lot of different people who listen, so. Um, but you know, I think, I think that, I think that some, some poop jokes and curse words are okay. Um, yeah. So I guess what does the future hold for you? You know, I, I realize that when you're dreaming big, um, you know, like I want to get into screenwriting, I said, like, I would imagine, like I envision, I want to accept an Oscar someday. And like, you know, saying that out loud makes you sound crazy because, you know, I haven't done shit, but, um, like, what's your dream? Like, what, what do you, what do you hope, uh, you know, turns out for you? Um, are there like shows that you hope that you could be on someday? Like, what do you dream about for, uh, for Zach Zimmerman 
you know, 10 years from now, what, what's going on in, in a, in a good world? Oh man, that's such a good question. And I need to have a, a better, not answer, but to visualize something. I feel like over the past year, I've learned to just take it a week at a time. And so now that we're starting to see what the future could look like, I'm more open to like seeing possibility again. Um, the other thing, it was advice someone gave me like 10 years ago that was kind of like, be vague with your dreams or, <laughs> or kind of like be specific about like what the underlying motivation is. Like, oh, I want to be creative and funny and make things with other people I admire and value and make people laugh and think and cry a little. I do love like secretly devastating people sometimes. I think that's like funny. You come to a comedy show and then you cry. Um, but I've, I've learned to not be hyper specific with them. Also, I feel like the dreams have to be bigger than just me. Like a version of something I'm like ready to give back. I haven't built enough of a career to do this, but I'm like very ready for the Zach Zimmerman presents phase of my life where I can mm -hmm. just like give all my friends jobs or give like the the kids from working class backgrounds who I think are really funny, give them huge platforms and uh, elevate like diverse voices that haven't been a part of like Hollywood's establishment for so long. Sure. Uh, so that feels like an important part, but really I just want to like, break even make 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 enough from doing all this that i you know have health insurance and housing and uh food and we can either get there through a socialist revolution which gives everyone all of that or we get there by giving zach like a high paying uh, tv writing job which he's also very open to and anyone listening i have samples that i can send feature length uh the half hour um but yeah i so the dream or we could elect Bernie in 2024, right? Please, you get get on it. Although Biden's doing not halfway bad with some stuff, he can definitely always do better. But I'm I'm optimistic. Ten yeah. years, hopefully the world. Hopefully we're not all in bunkers due to like climate change disaster in ten years. Um, yeah, shit's not good right now, and a lot in a number of right. You know, people are not happy with one another. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm also something someone said, I went to a, not to get too dark, but I, I've been lucky I didn't lose anyone during the pandemic, but a friend lost their partner and I mm -hmm. went to his Zoom memorial. I didn't know him very well, but I was still touched by sort of the emotion of it all. And something, a phrase that just like stuck with me and I think I'll keep with me for the rest of my life. The way this man lived his life, his partner said that he, every moment was a moment for joy. And that to me just like unlocked something where I'm like, joy's not tomorrow or in 10 years or when you get staffed on the TV show. Joy's not, you know, your wedding day. Joy's like today, this moment, talking to mm -hmm. Jeff on the damn Zoom phone. Like, yeah, the Tigers, the Discovery Zone podcast. The Discovery Tiger Zone. There's, there's joy in every moment. And if you can do that, I even, got to a point where something bad, objectively bad happened to me and I was able to find it funny. Mm -hmm. Like that, 
those, those are the keys to the fortune. And so in yeah. 10 years, I hope I still believe every moment is a moment for joy. And I hope I'm able to help other people feel joy or at least suffer less. I love that. That's a great place for us to wrap this up. Uh, with what? Those I got three more hours of preaching, Jeff. <laughs> this isn't the Joe Rogan podcast. We only do like 30 or 40 <laughs> minutes, but um, at least until I get a salary or something. And we're also but... not anti-vaxxers. Uh, yeah. Got to throw, throw Joe under the bus if we've got fans <laughs> Joe on the pod, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was a little wild. Um, get vaccine, everybody. <laughs> End the pandemic, please. <laughs> That, like, that would be good. Again. Where where can people find your stuff? Where can they get D Zach Zimmerman things? I'm on the interwebs. If y'all are on Twitter or Instagram, that's where I'm playing most these days. My handle is at ZZ double ZZ. So ZZ, the word double, and then another Z and another Z. And I've been flirting with TikTok too, uh, but not as much there. Um, and then if you live in New York, uh, Zach-Zimmerman.com is my website. And I try to put up shows. I'm doing stuff at Stand Up New York or literally outdoors and parks all summer long. Um, and I'd love to, I was supposed to be doing a tour before the pandemic. It was like the week of the pandemic. I had a decent like San Francisco crew, like Connor Dean Yeoman was bringing his buds and was going to have a good show there. So I hope to get to some other cities as things reopen. And I would love to see, you know. I'd love to turn it into a tiger zone to get some tigers out to uh, the comedy. Yeah, you do get you do get some good support. I've noticed from from a lot of these shows. Um, so that's Zach-Zimmerman.com to check out everything from Zach. Zach, thank you so much for. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, it was good to see you. Thank you for uh, making the time to do this. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We'll see you guys next time.